0: And you are listening to 94.1 KPFA and 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, 97.5 K248BR in Santa Cruz and online at kpfa.org. The time is 3 p.m. Stay tuned next for Jennifer Stone and cover to cover.
1: Uh-
0: in darkness from the ones who walk in love Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Today is... It's April, it's April, April and Blossom Time, right. April, National Poetry Month. (laughs) Uh, April is the cruelest month, give or take. A few weeks in late October. Okay, yes, all those poems about apples on the road and so forth... You know the sort of thing um I was going to read you poems today and I will do that, but first I um uh, I have just learned of the passing of Eric Bowersfeld. Those of you who are long time KPFA listeners will remember Eric um all those years and all that theatrical Oh, what do we call it? Uh, oh, Eric was so special um i'm not going to uh, I'm not going to run on about that because I will find out when the memorial is to is to happen, and then I will try to talk a little bit more, maybe ask Susan Stone to come here because she uh worked with Eric the longest uh, Padraigine McGillicuddy, of course, who is also gone now. Um, anyway, I have, uh, see, I pulled one poem out of the the works of Edna St. Vincent Millay. I thought I would read her work to you today, and I'll start with a poem for Eric Bausfeld. As I said, Eric has died this past weekend. Uh, this poem is called "Dirge." Without music, it's taken from The Buck in the Snow, uh, published rather late, yes, Edna St. Vincent Mollet. She writes, I am not resigned to the shutting away of loving hearts in the hard ground. So it is, and so it will be. For so it has been, time out of mind. Into the darkness they go, the wise and the lovely. crowned with lilies and with laurel they go, but I am not resigned. Lovers and thinkers, into the earth with you. "'Be one with the dull, the indiscriminate dust, "'a fragment of what you felt, of what you knew, "'a formula, a phrase remains. "'But the best is lost. "'The answer's quick and keen, "'the honest look, the laughter, the love. "'They are gone. "'They are gone to feed the roses.' Elegant and curled is the blossom. Fragrant is the blossom. I know, but I do not approve. More precious was the light in your eyes than all the roses in the world. Down, down, down into the darkness of the grave. Gently they go, The beautiful, the tender, the kind. Quietly they go, the intelligent, the witty, the brave, I know. But I do not approve, and I am not resigned. That is a poem for Eric Bowersfeld who uh, has died this past weekend. We have lost Eric, and I hope that uh, Susan Stone will be able to come and uh, talk on the air. Maybe I can get her to join me in any case. um, Today I had planned to talk about uh, the work of Edna St. Vincent Millay. Easter, let's see, Easter has just passed, and that's a special time for me because that is the time when I lost my mother. Uh, Her favorite poet was Edna St. Vincent Millay. Mother died on March the 28th. It was. I was 13 years old. Now, what always makes me think about loss, about death, and about life itself, is that 13 years later, On the very same date, my first child was born. Let's see, yes, I was 13 when Mother died. Thirteen years later, my first child was born. I went from Gretchen to Paul, right? Now, some poets tell us that nothing is ever lost, that it just comes back to us, just comes back on another shore. I don't know about that but it's certainly a nice a nice thought uh I think with annemarie uh there's a lot of there's a lot of nonsense about uh her life and of course she was a romantic but uh let's see I think what I'll do is I'll read you just a little tiny bit of her bio so that you have the background, I, I, I'm not sure how many people still read Edna St. Vincent Millay, I know that Lawrence Ferlinghetti admires her, uh, her mother's grave is near, uh, her own, I stayed at her house, um, it's in upstate New York, steeple top, it's called, back in the early 80s, I went there to a writer's retreat, And the two graves are there on the top of the hill. Uh, Ah, yes. Uh, Her grave is a mile or so out into the woods from the road. It's uh, 650 acres. It's beautiful, beautiful land, of course. Now, all these years later, it's been chopped up. (laughs) You know, the developers, yes. What I liked about... Edna's grave is that it is marked with this very large stone. It made me think of her, yes, Uh, her poem. Safe, safe upon the solid rock, the ugly houses stand. Come, come and see my shining palace, built upon the sand. That's that's the second fig, little book called A Few Figs from Thistles. You, of course, remember the first fig. Uh, Everyone remembers the first fig. Uh, My candle burns at both ends. It will not last the night. But all my foes and all my friends, it gives a lovely light. I remember... When I was teaching Edna St. Vincent Millay, I uh, was trying to get away from the romantic images, and I talked to the students about this candle burning at both ends. You know how it is that uh, the, the fire between the eyes, our brain, the fire between the eyes, this, uh yes, balanced by the flame between the thighs. Mm-hmm. Uh... The sensual and the cerebral. Uh, Now, Edna Malay was a formalist. She wrote sonnets. Uh, But they were about jazz and cigarettes. She needed to uh, pour her passions into this formal mold. Her work is melodramatic. Uh, Well, to some people, to me, it's just, you know, daily life. She does have masochistic moments, but that's a 21st century interpretation. Her greatness lies in her ability to pour her white-hot passions into formal patterns of verse, into 19th century forms. (laughs) I don't know. uh, she, She did it all. She writes, What... Should I be but a harlot and a nun? Once again, the sensual and the cerebral, or the, uh, what is it, the sexy and the spiritual. How's that? I see her as split between her Celtic paganism and her New England Puritanism. Yes, well, I mean, isn't it? everyone, it's my split certainly, anyway (laughs) and um, St. Vincent Millay, she's called Vincent by most of her friends Uh, her biography calls her my favorite biography calls her Vincent Uh, she was born February 22nd 1892 Mm -hmm. my mother was born 10 years later Millet lived until 1950. She grew up in Camden, Maine, and her first published poem is 1912. It was called Renaissance. I like that better than Renaissance, meaning it means a rebirth. Yes, like Easter. Uh, she graduated from Vassar in 1917. Let's see, she she read that poem Renaissance in a hotel and. A do-gooder, a a kind woman, gave her the money to go to Vassar. Uh, She lived the bohemian life in Greenwich Village. She embraced uh, social protest, feminism. She was active with the Provincetown Players, with Eugene O'Neill and Jack Reed. She actually produced and directed the plays as well as acted in them. One of my favorites is called Aria di Capo. She produced that in nineteen twenty. Uh, I I tried to do that once in college for a kind of workshop. It's a wonderful uh, short play about two neighbors who <laughs> who eventually murder each other because that's what humankind does. But there are two frivolous, beautiful, lovely characters in the play too, and. Uh, Uh, They are the counterpoint, right? Uh, Anyway, uh, Edna Millet wrote little stories and articles. She used a pseudonym, Nancy Boyd. Oh, we don't have to know that. (laughs) Anyway, Figs from Thistles was published in 1920, and then she went off to Paris with other expatriates and published 2nd April. Uh, She got... The pillars of prize for the harp weaver, first woman to win that prize for poetry, that's 1923. Her health was always precarious. She married a very protective Dutchman, whose name was Eugene Boisevain, I never could pronounce it, in 1923, and they moved to the farm at Steepletop in upstate New York. They lived there until their death, he died first. Uh, Malay translated the uh, Flowers of Evil, Baudelaire's uh, poems in 1936. Uh Aha. I think, uh, yes, my favorite of all the books, collections, is the one titled Wine from These Grapes. That's 1934. There's a whole list of or books, and so forth, Uh, there are no islands anymore, Uh, the collected lyrics, and so forth. The last collection is 1954, published posthumously, was titled Mind the Harvest. (laughs) I love the last poem in that collection. I hope I have time to find it. I just love, I love the ending She goes on and on about the the problems and the difficulties of love. uh, And then she uh, ends the poem saying, whether or not we find what we are seeking is idle. Biologically speaking, (laughs) Edna, or Vincent, Vincent, right, as they called her, Seemed to be seeking the father, if you're interested in all that psychological stuff. uh, Or maybe, maybe she was seeking the father, or uh, she seems to think she was looking for a lover. Her father had left the family when she was seven. Her mother, Cora, told Father Henry that he must go unless he could, quote, do better. Hmm. Footnote no, dear, I was thinking when I first read that in the biography of my mother's friends. Uh, mother never said it, but they always, well, let's see, 1930s, I'm talking 30s and 40s. They always said, well, looked at their husbands, yes, well, he pays the bills. That was the story back in the day, uh. Vincent was a Peter Pan type, a leprechaun. She had two younger sisters, Norma and Kathleen. Norma was still alive when I visited Steeple Top in 1982. Uh, She was, what, red gold. She had a red gold aura. Celtic with a diminutive charm, all green scarves and frailty. Those green scarves are terrific terrific gimmick Uh, she had no uh, glamorous clothes when she began her reading so she came up with the green scarves Kathleen was perhaps the prettiest of the three girls she was a dark Irish beauty a poet in her own right her early death was a shock to her mother and sisters that was something that happened in World War II and it isn't quite clear what happened, uh, I think she was, but she just got pneumonia or something. Norma was the most robust of the three girls. She was a blonde of a voluptuous mold. She was a singer like her mother. Yes, uh, I was awfully sad that I wasn't able to meet her when I visited the farm, She died just a few months after I left, and I just couldn't persuade the Vassar woman who was in charge of that writer's colony. You know, Steeple Top became a writer's colony tax write-off, you know. (laughs) And uh, I guess Norma was then so ill, uh, the workers there at the farm, the people who kept things together, they said, well, she was extremely difficult irascible, and, of course, very, very frail. She kept going to the hospital and coming back, and the helpers there would go out and throw salt on the snow. They were afraid she would fall. Very lonely to see her. She would stand by her house sometimes in the evening, looking at the verges, All those acres of woods and meadows I used to go out and try to scare off the hunters. There were notices all around telling the uh, woodsman not to shoot the deer. Uh, <laughs> the uh, the fellow that took care of things looked at me and he said, would you please wear a red shirt or something? We don't want one of the guests shot. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yes, uh, steeple top. I don't know why I went there. I just thought I wanted to be where she had lived. Uh, it was the saddest, loneliest place, and as I say, uh, it was just just shortly before Norma died, and, ah, uh, oh dear, uh, the ghosts there are... Well, I, I guess they're gone now. There's all kinds of little... Uh, <laughs> little little uh, houses, she wrote, yes, weepers are the seas, brides, I mean this the drowning way, yes, she knew all about the dangers of masochism, (laughs) I just associate her uh, with, well, everyone says she is a love poet, I think of her uh, as one of the great muses, Muse of lyric and amatory verse, muse of music and delight, romantic hedonism, obsessive sexuality. I don't know why people worry about that? Oh, that's what poets do. Edmund Wilson, they called him Bunny. He said, "Well, she'd had nineteen love affairs, but just couldn't help it. Poor thing." She combined Bohemian matters with Victorian matter in the work. They called her Sappho around Greenwich Village. She certainly lived up to the jazz age expectations of her peers. She certainly burned that candle. Uh, I think by the time she got to Steeple Top, she was burned out, and she had, uh, fortunately, a kind husband to take care of her uh, I think of her as a little bit like Keats. The longing is all that lasts. She wrote, Oh, read me, read me, do not let me die. Uh, (laughs) yes, she also said that, uh, (laughs) she was angry about all the, the, uh, nostalgia that people, people saw in poetry, uh, Oh yes, mostly she mourns the loss of love. She writes, "Pity me that a man's desire is hushed so soon." I certainly associate Malay with my memories of childhood. Uh, I think the the poems well, actually. Uh, Dorothy Parker was another favorite of my mother's. Her best friend Elsa would read first a Dorothy Parker, and then Mother would read Malay. Uh, they also loved to play Conversation at Midnight. <laughs> this was not really a... Uh, ...play for the stage. Uh, it was attempted on Broadway. It's a page play, a long, long meditation. Uh, yes, she writes in that play, It is not arrogance, it is utter terror and loneliness that drives a man to address the void as thou. Think of Emily Dickinson. I read her last week. Emily Dickinson said her family addressed an eclipse each morning, <laughs> they called the void, yes, the void, she said, they called it thou. Ballet's play, Conversation at Midnight, is about the crisis of faith. And She writes, in the play, one of the gloomier characters says, Man has never been the same since God died. He has taken it very hard. Why, you'd think it was only yesterday the way he takes it. The moment it gets dark, he goes out and howls over the grave of God. <laughs> Indeed, yes. Ah, uh, uh, like gardens look shut through an iron gate. I used that line for the long essay that I did. I remember getting my uh, my honors degree, and my essay on Malay was titled, Like Gardens Looked At Through an Iron Gate, yes, Her Victorian prison, and then Her Passionate Internal Life. Uh, Anyway, uh, I always think of Keats again, right? I put his poems next to hers when I was a schoolgirl. Uh, He wrote, And This Is Why I sojourn here, alone and palely loitering though the sedge is withered from the lake and no birds sing. Let's see. I wish I had time to read all of Renaissance. It's a poem about her being in love with the earth. She rolls on the earth and tries to kiss the breast of the earth. When she is coming to the end of her life, 1945, Ah. she writes, Small hands relinquish all. Nothing the fist can hold, Not power, not love, not gold, But suffers from the cold And is about to fall. Oh, those lines recall Emily Bronte's poem, Fall leaves all lengthened night and shortened day. Every leaf speaks bliss to me. Fluttering yes, from the tree. Uh, Malay loved the thorn apple. It was a rank-smelling plant with a beautiful blossom. <laughs> Isn't that marvelous? Uh, one of the men in her life. Yes, he... Uh, <laughs> ah, it's interesting. He didn't get it, that kind of thing, you know, the rank-smelling plant with the beautiful blossom. Uh, I guess his name was Arthur Fick, F-I-C-K-E, a real prick from what I can gather. He was very fond of her, but he knew that she would be too demanding as a wife. He puts it this way. Her heart, born eager, generous and just, failed to perceive the sordidness of lust. She thought it lovely, and she made it so. I think that's so interesting always. uh, The women who equate lust with love. Uh, Remember Thackeray laughing at Charlotte Bronte? (laughs) Yes, it just seems that some men can't imagine a world in which sex and love are just the same thing. When I was a college girl, I remember my favorite professor tried to tell us we were at a girls' school here at Oakland Mills College. He tried to make us understand that men separate sex and love. Ah, uh, so, yes, perhaps that's... Uh, something women need to learn. Anyway, Emily Dickinson wrote, My Barefoot Rank is Best, and that, of course, applies to Vincent as well. Uh, They called her the spokeswoman for the new woman. She was the voice of flaming, rebellious youth. She wrote, Faithful am I to love self only. Yes. Yes. I wish I had time to read the 25 sonnets that I brought today. I don't know what I was thinking of. Uh, (laughs) Yes. Pity me not, because the light of day, close of day, no longer walks the sky. Pity me that the heart is slow to learn. What the swift mind beholds at every turn. This has been Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. I'll be back on the air next week at the same time. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can.
1: Just in time for KPFA's birthday, Amy Goodman is coming to Berkeley to launch her new book, Democracy Now!, 20 years covering the movement changing America. On Sunday, April 17th, Amy will take the stage with her brother and co-author David to present two decades of history making journalism. That's at the First Congregational Church of Berkeley, 2345 Channing Way, starting at 7.30 p.m. and hosted by me, Brian Edwards Teaker. There's wheelchair access, tickets available in advance through brownpapertickets.com and local independent bookstores, and full details on our website, kpfa.org. It is a very happy birthday to Democracy Now! and to KPFA with Amy Goodman on April 17th. See you there.